BMO and Restaurant Finance Monitor hosted a roundtable discussion on Friday, March 20th about precautions to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 that have escalated on federal, state, and local government levels. Here's a replay of the conference call. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining this call, co-hosted by BMO Capital Markets and Restaurant Finance Monitor. Over the past week or so, we have seen an unprecedented level of disruption in the Indian economy driven by COVID-19, and restaurants have been at the front lines of the impact. At this time, we believe the sharing of information and collaboration amongst us all is more important than ever to help the restaurant industry manage through the crisis. We at BMO are here to be of help, and please do not hesitate to reach out if we can be helpful in any way. We, at the end of this call, we will try to make room for Q&A. Please send your questions via email to either myself, Ashish, Seth, or Andrew Strelvik. I would like to thank our panelists for contributing to this call. On the panel today, we have John Hamburger, our co-host and publisher of the Restaurant Finance Monitor. From Capital Spring, we have Chad Spalding and Jim Bayless. Capital Spring is one of the largest operators and capital providers in the restaurant industry. Not only have they been at the front lines of the lobbying effort this last week, but their portfolio has approximately 3,000 restaurants in every major domestic DMA, from which they're gathering nearly daily sales data, collecting best practices and ideas on how to best deal with these uncharted waters. And they have been incredibly active in providing resources and disseminating the information out to their portfolio. They've agreed to share some of their findings with the broader group today. Next, from Condado Tacos, we have founder and CEO, Joe Kahn. Condado Tacos is a high-growth casual dining chain based in the Midwest with 17 company-owned units. We also have with us today Andy Howard, President and CEO of Huey Magoo's, a 13-unit fast-casual chicken tenders chain with stores in Florida and Georgia. Huey Magoo's has both company-owned and franchise units. Also joining us is Atul Sooth, Chief Business Officer at Kitchen United, a leading provider of turnkey cloud kitchens for several national and local brands. Kitchen United has current and upcoming locations across Pasadena, Austin, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York City, and Scottsdale. Finally, we have with us today Landon Eccles, co-founder and CEO of Clean Juice, a fast casual franchiser uh, serving organic juice and health foods across 23 states through its approximately 100-unit network. With that, I will now turn it over to a senior equity research analyst covering restaurants, Andrew Strelzik, who will moderate the panel, followed by Q&A. Great. Thanks, Ashish, and welcome, everyone. As Ashish said, I'm Andrew Strelzik, BMO's restaurant analyst in the equity research group, and I'll be moderating our discussion today. Uh, we have a number of important topics that we want to discuss across the sales environment, cost structure, franchisee dynamics, and long-term implications. And to stay organized, I'm going to address each of the questions to specific panelists, but everyone, please feel free to chime in uh, if there's anything you'd like to add. And so to kick it off today, I want to start with John from the Restaurant Finance Monitor. You know, you're talking to a lot of people across the industry, so I'm hoping that you can kind of give us a sense um, of what you're seeing out there when you're talking to individuals and operators and and, uh, kind of what your view is of the environment. Sure. Well, thanks, Andrew, for including me on this call Look, it's not a good situation uh, out there. We wouldn't be having this call. Uh, QSR, from talking with operators around the country, it's still functioning, operating at reduced capacity. Fast casual and casual dining are 
really delivery and delivery and to go dependent. There's more more stress, I think, in that uh, category. Fine dining, for the most part, is shut down. You know, one bright spot as I talk to some operators, pizza is one category that I'm hearing is is bucking the trend. Uh, people are still ordering uh, delivery pizza. In talking to operators around the country, I'm hearing drive-through delivery and to-go sales traffic is actually picking up this week as the week goes along. Things were pretty slow uh, early week, but uh, things, are, things, from what I'm hearing, are starting to pick up. We don't know how long this is going to last, how long restaurants will be operating at reduced cap capacity, or in some cases, how long they're going to be closed. But we have to have faith this will end sometime soon and things will return to normal. Here's what we've been telling uh, readers of the monitor. We've been telling them that your chances are much better coming out of this by staying open rather than closing. I've uh, been urging restaurant operators to do everything in their power to keep the stores open, open and focus on delivery to go and drive through. And that involves very tight cash management. And if you're a franchisee, you don't have the capital to write it out, you're going to need uh, help from your franchisor, your landlord, your distributor, your bank. If you're an independent, you're going to need help from your landlord, distributor, and bank. And you got to be in communication with them right now. These guys are being inundated right now with requests for relief. And I think at first some of them might come off as uncaring. Uh, but in my experience, that's the first reaction. Others will be sympathetic. And But I, I do think they know what you're going through. And you need to have a plan before you call them, and you need to tell them how you're going to repay them when the all-clear is given. And the reason I've been telling everybody stay in business is this. You know, we've talked for years about the restaurant business having too many stores and being too hard to staff. Well, that's that's all changed this past week. And there's going to be thousands of restaurants that are not going to open up again. And what that means is when the all-clear is given, people who've stayed in business you're going to get a lot of business, and you have to remain optimistic that the restaurant business will come back again, but with far fewer locations. So back back to you, Andrew. All right, great. Thank you for that. And and I think where we want to start next is uh, really kind of honing in on the sales environment. So I want to ask this question to everyone, but maybe start uh, with Andy from Hughes Magoo's. You know, what's the situation on the ground for for, for uh, each of the brands, how are you managing to do business in this environment? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Well, first of all, what we're doing and I'm doing in particular, I can't stress enough about over-communicate to so many people. First of all, with your team members, with your franchisees, they feel like they're left out in the cold sometimes. So we've got our operations and training team assigned Three stores each are giving them a, a call at least three times a day. And then if there's emergencies in between, just uh, to see how they're doing, what the latest and greatest may be from our company point of view. So the over-communication, not only in that regard, but again, from my seat, vendors and suppliers and bankers and landlords and brokers and even franchise prospects that uh, still want to move forward with our brand. So there's so many things that we're trying to continue to over-communicate with is just one example. Then, you know, being on the ground, we are fast casual. We've already been set up for takeout, and uh, that's where certainly all the business is now going. We can delivery to go online ordering. So we are weathering the storm, uh, maybe a little bit better than some other brands, but uh, 
we're doing all we can to survive, and you know we're still selling tenders. Okay, great, Joe. Why don't we? Um, why, why don't you go next? Hi, this is uh, Joe from Condado. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you what we're doing. Obviously, we luckily uh, just really ramped up our third party to go and um, pick up this year. So we're pretty seasoned. Um, but yeah, we just uh, did a complete pivot, and uh, that is where all our energy and our focus is going is straight into um, all of this. So we need to, obviously, everybody's doing the same thing. We're just trying to kind of break through the clutter, connect with our communities as much as we can, be genuine, and um, pivot in a lot of different ways. All we're doing now is focusing on those two things, other things that I think are, are relevant. The big thing is drive throughs We obviously don't have drive throughs we're turning our parking lot into drive-throughs. We're using, I believe, it's called the One Dine, as well. So we're we're thinking outside of the box. We're doing a couple other very interesting things that I think need to be done to get the uh, consumers' confidence in us. We're doing curbside pickup. We're doing it the old school pizza style way, where you call up and we text you and uh, let you know you text us when you're 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 here and we bring it out so it'll act as a drive through as well. Yeah, then we're just really trying to do all of those things. I think the biggest my biggest takeaway from all of this and what I think we all have to be very aware of is these third party services that are doing our deliveries. I truly believe that they are going to get overwhelmed. So we're trying to take back a little piece of that, and we're starting to experiment with uh, delivery ourselves. So I think we're doing that for one store in our what we feel is our best uh, best store and best markets uh, for takeout and dine-in right now. So you know that that's what we're really focusing on. I'm sure it's the same story with uh, with everyone, but um, you know we're. We're doing everything we can to get the consumer's confidence, which I think we need to do. All of us need to do. Uh, everybody's scared right now, but we are starting to see improvements every day. And uh, I feel like in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be, we're not going to certainly be back, but we, we are all, whoever stays open, um, will have a plethora of, uh, to go and pick up uh, eventually. So that's what we're doing. And the tool that, uh, from Kitchen United, the, the um, delivery comment, obviously, particularly relevant for, for your brand. Can you uh, let us know what you're seeing? Absolutely. Uh, so Kitchen United, uh, again, is a uh, ghost kitchen concept. So we are architected uh, for off-premise dining, and we've definitely seen an uptick in demand um, in the markets where we're already open. One thing that's uh, relevant um, that we are recommending to some of our brands um, that might be relevant to people on the call is there are certain brands that are experimenting with different menu items, uh, more family-style meals and family-style dining, and putting them on the menus uh, so that families of four or more can order group meals at home. Um, so we are uh, we're definitely seeing more demand for that type of um, meal behavior, but uh, we are seeing an uptick both in pickup and in delivery. Okay, and, and Landon uh, from Clean Juice, can you go next, please? Sure. So it's it's interesting how uh, the landscape really changes, you know, uh, day by day and really hour by hour. Um, last week was actually our, our best sales week ever as an organization, and I, I believe that because people were, you know, trying to quickly 
you know, get on the healthy bandwagon and, um, and clean up the diets and just to do everything they can to, to boost their immune systems. Really, the last rolling quarter, our same-store sales were up 18%, which was incredible. Um, but then Monday came, and we went to um, no in-dining. Uh, we're set up at the QSR, so we have some seats inside, um, but most of it is uh, take-and-go. And so uh, our issue is that, you know, our locations are situated mostly in, you know, really nice A locations and lifestyle centers, and those are obviously empty right now. So our sales this week have been down about 60% um, across the board. We have done several things to um, try to counterbalance that. We've also launched uh, curbside pickup. We've also launched kind of our version of a family pack, and we're calling it a buy and blend. So consumers can come in and purchase basically five unblended smoothies. Uh, we give them the almond milk they need uh, to blend that. They take it home. They put those five in the freezer, and then they can consume them kind of throughout the week. Um, our intention there is to limit trips to the store as people are trying to be cognizant of staying home um, while also keeping them healthy and, and providing our products. So we're trying to innovate through this and uh, do some things quickly. And I, I agree that uh, over-communication with all of our partners is uh, is certainly imperative at this point. And lastly, Jim from Capital Springfield. I think uh, most people talked about a lot of the tactics that are being deployed across the board here. As we were introduced, we have a number of different uh, brands in in various segments, so we've been affected in in a lot of different ways. Uh, Our quick-serve locations are doing a little bit better. Uh, They have drive-throughs. The the business model is designed for off-premise, so they're performing better generally. You know, what we're really sharing with our teams uh, and a lot of our leaders is, this really is a time that defines us as as a leadership group, and what that means is how we manage through and navigate these waters and, and thinking both short-term and long-term. And so, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing are similar to what you're hearing from others, all of the, the shift to off-premise and, and obviously marketing to make that as profitable as possible. So to the extent that uh, you can migrate people to either your own delivery by repurposing labor through layoff, you know, some of the layoffs you may be experiencing or, or lowering hours and, and doing delivery yourself. That's an option that, that we're exploring as well as um, trying to get people to order off of your native app versus the marketplace. Obviously, it's more profitable, but the commissions are, are a little bit lower. So we're doing I would say a lot of the things that everybody else is doing, uh, we're trying to be very data-driven with our decisions. So we're looking at day-in, day-part and our product mix. We're scaling back menus where we can uh, to those items that may not have um, single SKUs that are more cross-utilized, that may improve speed of service as well, as well as reduce uh, labor by reducing prep and some other things as you know, waste as well. So we're deploying a number of tactics. A lot of them have already been mentioned by others on the call. So, and I know we're going to touch on a few here later, so I won't mention all of them. Andrew, if I may ask Jim a question. Uh, sure. You mentioned day, day bars. How is that evolving uh, in the current environment? Yeah, I mean, so we're adjusting a number of hours of operations. We have some 24-hour locations that we've eliminated the graveyard because they're simply just not profitable. In other situations where we may have family dining concepts, we're seeing breakfast scale back considerably during the, on the weekdays, and so we may be opening up a little bit later. We're also noticing generally that the business is ending earlier as people are staying home. You know, they're not going out later at night. They're not going to bars and so forth. So generally, the hours of operation, certainly during the week, TBD on what happens this weekend, you know, have narrowed throughout the course of the day. 
so you know that that's what we're seeing. We are seeing a little bit less, which logically, you know, you're not seeing that lunch rush that was a very you know finite time period. It's it's more spread out, but the the you know early and, and late nights uh, have really diminished. And Landon and Joe, kind of on the same theme, to the extent that you could be you know somewhat specific, can you talk about performance across the different channels? How you've seen that mix evolve, and how you're managing operations where dine-in isn't available. This is Landon. Uh, dine-in is not available. Um, we're doing uh, so. Guests can come in, order what they want, but they must take it and consume off-premise. Um, our app has definitely picked up. Typically, our app actually does about 20 to 25 percent of our sales. Um, so while the app has picked up, you know, the, just the drop in sales volume, um, you know, it's probably around the same as what it was doing before. Guests are definitely navigating towards uh, uh, curbside delivery. They appreciate that. Um, we have limited our hours as well. So typically we're open from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, 7 and 8 p.m. We've moved to about 8 to 5. And we actually are seeing pretty consistency throughout the day parts. Lunch is always our busiest time, and that's that's continuing to be the trend. But we're also seeing a, a decent pop at the end of the day. I think people, you know, maybe getting a little stir crazy and they want to go out and, you know, grab grab a smoothie or whatever, and then, and then go home. So we're seeing some of that too. And Joe? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm just going to repeat what everybody else is. We're, we're seeing the same things. I mean, we're reducing our hours, uh, 11 to nine. Uh, most of the traffic is coming um, in the evening and the six, seven, eight uh, o'clock hour. The majority we're, you know, limiting, uh, we're thinking about limiting and uh, our menus. Uh, for some of the more expensive stuff to to make it um, you know more economic. So I mean, I I wish I could tell you something new, but we're experiencing exactly what everybody before me uh, just said and doing the same things. Gotcha. Okay. And, and uh, Jim, you know, we've seen in the press, um, you know, third party delivery providers that are offering free delivery or cutting the customer-facing costs. Have you gotten any relief on take rates uh, as deliveries become a bigger piece of your business in this environment? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily uh, that we're getting discounts right now uh, because of uh, the breadth of exposure that we have uh, to so many restaurants in our portfolio. Uh, we're able to leverage that scale and negotiate a little bit better rates. Um, we are reaching out to our delivery providers, though, and trying to get marketing dollars we're trying to get you know on the first page where we can certainly in regional markets um, and trying to push them for any assistance they can provide but you know generally we're paying a little bit less across the board I think just due to our scale uh, than you know some of the independents Howard if I can uh, talk about the third-party delivery just for a minute where we're really feeling it because that percent of our business is definitely going up. But again, because of the high fees and maybe we've got a higher gym to negotiate for us, uh, you know, there's, you're just trading dollars. So if there was ever a push by the industry to try to do something as a group to try to get the big third party delivery guys to take a look at the smaller guys to give us a break on these fees, that would sure be something I would, I would want to rally around. Um, you know, they offer free delivery again, which is great for the consumer. But it doesn't help the operator. It just kind of increases that piece of the business for them. And yeah, you could say for our top line, but, uh, you know, we're still bottom line driven. So it's a, it's a big, a big sore spot in my mind on that whole third party delivery commission structure.
Yeah, this is Jim Bayless again. I mean, as I said earlier, I think shifting people to the extent you can or have a native or online ordering app that people, that your, your guests can use, um, bag stuffers, you know, other efforts around shifting people, even if it's a discount, to get them to order off of your own marketplace versus a third-party marketplace um, and trying to negotiate those commissions down. We've seen a little bit more success there. Yeah, this is Joe from Canada. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Get the consumer uh, trust in us, give enough content, social media to drive them into uh, our own platform. So I think that's all we can do at this point. But, um, you know, I, I think the big thing with delivery, and I know we all talked about it yesterday, but if we can get, incorporate our uh, our own people and to executing delivery within a couple mile radius, I think uh, if we kind of rally behind that, the DoorDashes would have, and all those other guys, third party would have no choice but to eventually reduce these rates. So, I mean, we're kind of uh, giving ourselves a challenge uh, to execute this, and we're starting to test it. But um, it's my hope once we come out of this uh, and we can rally around delivery, eventually we can knock down these uh, these uh, fees uh, that they're doing right now for third party. Great. Um, I wanted to go back uh, next to um, Andy from Human Magoos, and, and I'm curious how you're managing the to-go side of the business where that's the only option. Can you talk about some of the operational steps that you've taken uh, to optimize that piece of the business? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so we have not been mandated, have not made a, the decision to go 100% closing our dining rooms. We've done it in a few stores out of 13 we have done the spacing of the tables, so there's no question, even with not closing dining rooms, more of our business uh, is going off-premise. We've we've geared, geared all of our marketing to a take-it-home kind of marketing theme. Operationally, we're doing uh, 100% packaging to go, even if there's people that still want to eat in. Uh, all packaging is, is, is for to-go packaging. You know, our managers from the sanitation and health point of view are double, triple, quadruple, you know, scrubbing down everything. Uh, actually, every employee in the morning is greeted by a manager before they enter. I know we touched on this last night on the call that uh, the, the key questions are, you know, do you have a fever? Are you coughing? Have you been in contact with anybody with the, with the virus? Have you done any traveling? And if the answer yes on any of those, then they're not they're not working that day. So every store every day is doing that. And uh, again, our concept has been somewhat geared to off premise. You know, even before this this hit, it's just now it's it's absolutely 100 uh, percent focused. So we're geared up. You guys mentioned about family meals. We luckily have had those on our menu. Definitely are pushing that for for family dining at at home. So we're uh, we're all geared for for that and doing a a pretty good job as far as the brand. And, and Jim, do your thoughts on the same, please? I mean, we're, we're making adjustments to a number of the aspects of our business. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, where we can, we're scaling back uh, our menus to just a, the bare minimum, so to speak, to make sure that uh, we can accommodate what the guests want, but try to reduce the number of SKUs, the amount of prep and labor. You know, from a labor standpoint, you know, we're we're being forced to, reduce labor as um, in, in some situations where, you know, we're having greater sales declines. Um, you know, we need to be careful uh, for those on the phone. You know, there is a federal warrant act 
as well as a number of states have their own Warren Acts, which trump the uh, the Federal Warren Act. There seems to be an exclusion, although I recommend everybody seek legal counsel on this, around unforeseen circumstances uh, on the Federal Warren Act. So from that perspective, but, you know, typically it does call for a 60-day notice for termination and having to pay people during that time period. You know, we're having to repurpose people on labor, as, as I talked about earlier, whether into delivery, some marketing efforts. Uh, we're also looking very strongly at philanthropic efforts, um, you know, whether it's first responders, schools that are feeding children that are on free and reduced lunch. Uh, we're having some team members bring foods out um, to those organizations to try to do the right thing in, in times like this when it's really challenged. You know, we're changing bonus plans for people, um, looking, focusing more on labor and opacs that they have more control over right now versus top line, uh, that they've historically, you know, been bonused on. We're, you know, we're resetting par levels, uh, we're, we're rotating some employees, so to the extent that, you know, we can keep everybody, maybe one employee's working one day and, and another working another day. And then we're trying to be proactive with, on the cost side of things and be constructive, you know, with our, our vendors and our, our accounts payable counterparties. You know, we don't want to uh, just stop paying everybody. So we're reaching out, you know, whether it's to a landlord and trying to offer a percentage rent uh, or others and, you know, treat it more as a partnership and say, hey, what can you do for us? Um, we're in this together. You know, we're taking all of those steps, you know, around the cost side of things and, and really trying to then, you know, go through every line of the GL to figure out where what's what's a nice to have and and what's a need to have, and really try to strike that balance because the key here is you want to have a long term view of the situation. I think John Hamburger earlier said that you know we're all going to get through this, and it, it's a question of how we come through on the other side. Going back to my leadership point, and I think you know making sure that you don't end up deferring a bunch of payments and then emerging three or four months from now with an enormous AP that you can't seem to get paid. So, you know, it's really being thoughtful and smart about your strategies and decisions between now and when we emerge from this. That's how we've been approaching it. All right. Thank you. And you touched on a, a number of the topics that I want to hit on next, but if we start maybe on the labor side, I'd love to get some more perspective uh, from how folks are, are, are kind of managing your workforce, the employee relations, and kind of how the conversations are going. So maybe if we could start with uh, Joe and Andy on that one. Yeah, this is Joe. I mean, I'll kind of run through the process of what we did. We have a great partner in Beekman, uh, and, uh, you know, they've kind of been through this with the financial crisis. But we, we were already preparing to do this. But, you know, what steps we really took was identifying reality. So, you know, what are the sales going to go? with the operating model shift. You know, we did good, honest um, projections. Didn't overinflate it. We did worst-case scenarios. And then the next step that we did was, uh, you know, adjust our teams accordingly. Uh, furloughs needed to be done. And uh, we also asked for a salary cut. You know, so we went through and decided uh, who we needed to keep the business alive, keep it growing, and uh, focused. So everybody that we kept took a 20% uh, reduction so far. Those people that I thought were critical to the business, I just gave up my salary to uh, help pay because I, I believe that marketing is is uh, what is going to save all of our restaurants. So we did that. Then we just took action quickly. I mean, it was a matter of three to four days. We pulled the Band-Aid off and, you know, 
Um, the whole key is, you know, when we did furlough people, we explained to them why we had to do it. I can't tell you, I, I don't think there was one employee out of uh, our 900 that we furloughed that didn't expect this and we're not shocked. So we just said, listen, what we have to do is what we have to do now. We have to save the business so we can have a job for you when this does break. So uh, we went through those steps, furloughed, got everybody set up on how to claim unemployment. After that, you know, the field uh, adjusted very quickly. We signed up for folks in unemployment. We were quickly adjusting the menus, like we said. Um, and then we're trying to engage our servers to be delivery drivers eventually to bring them back. So that's really um, what we what we did. And now, you know, managing the labor that we do have, we're just very conscious of it every day. We um, we look at our um, our numbers every morning. Get on a our call. Our first call starts at 8 a.m. and we evaluate um, everything and um, see how we're doing with the labor and just adjusting every day. I think uh, you know the more sales we get, the better the the labor gets. But uh, we're just very aware and um, and we're acting as as quickly as we can to get that uh, labor under control. And I think uh, yesterday. We did a very good job of, um, of doing that. So, uh, this is Andy. If I can jump in, um, so we are mainly franchise-driven. We've got one company store, um, so the franchisees are, to some extent, making their 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 own calls with our our guidance. Fortunately, our business is still positive enough that we've had minimal cuts. Where we're Cutting rather than cutting people completely is really on on their hours, an hour or two here or there to keep them going rather than cutting, you know, the, the, the human person themselves. So that's that seems to be working. The the, the franchisees that have multiple stores are moving uh, are moving some people around where some busier stores could, could use them where the slower ones cannot. Creatively, we even heard somebody uh, who's got multiple different concepts potentially could be moving around from one concept to the next to keep keep them working. So that was an interesting uh, creative way to keep people in business. We actually, again, being a small company, are watching, of course, our dollars from the corporate side. But what can we do as good corporate citizens? So it hasn't even been, ana- been announced. So I don't know if any of our team members are on the, on the phone call here, but every team member in our system is going to get a crisp $100 bill uh, probably next week. So that is not making anybody rich, but paying a few grocery bills. So uh, that is is coming out as just a, a small token of what you know we can do to say thank you and we care about you and hopefully we're going to all survive this. So that's it. Jim, you you already kind of touched on this point, so maybe I'll stick uh, with Andy and Joe. But on you know you know conversations with landlords and rent. What are you asking of landlords in terms of rent relief? If you're if you if you've done that, are you varying your ask by landlord and situation? Can you kind of walk through how you're approaching that, please? I can speak to that. This is Joe. Uh, we had our real estate development person reach out to every landlord, and we didn't approach it as this is what we need. It's more what are you trying to peel them out? What, what are you thinking? And I I have to say, out of our 16, 17 landlords so far, we've had some pretty positive uh, responses. I think there's one or two smaller, but I think everybody understands that uh, we're all in this together. So 
a lot of people, a lot of landlords are offering um, anywhere from one to three months uh, deferments and then uh, amateurizing that into, uh, you know, sometimes uh, a year from now or six months from now or they're extending uh, lease terms by a few months. It's whatever uh, their lenders and them uh, agree on. So I I don't know how everybody else feels, but I have not I I have not had uh, bad luck with with that. And you know I can if I can speak to one more thing. All the uh, other things that we do, the wisely's out there, and the all our you know different things uh, in our GNA that um, everybody uses. They're really stepping up to the plate. I mean, before we even go out and ask them, they're saying, hey, I want to, you know, they're rallying around us in this business. And they're saying, hey, I, I, I want to give you, you know, three months. We're just going to defer it, no makeup, whatever it is. And I think that's wise of them. And the same thing with the landlords. But um, that's what I'm kind of seeing. And I don't know how everyone else is, but uh, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, again, this is Andy, if you the goose, um, kind of everything Joe touched on. Um, we're not getting, I'm not going to say it's totally negative or totally positive. It's a little bit of mixed where they're not making any decisions. They're listening. They want to stay in communication. They feel for us. I've heard the term, we're all in this together. So the various ways of deferring rent, pushing it toward the back end of the leases, going to percentage rent, going to 50% rent, um, all those seem to potentially be on the table without any from commitments just to see how this thing plays out a little bit more is kind of the, the direction that most of our landlords are saying. Uh, but, you know, when when we say, hey, but if we don't make a decision pretty soon and we've got to close our doors, you're not going to get any rent. So they, they certainly understand that. And hopefully for most, if not all of us on the call, we're not going to close our doors. But but that's the that's the ultimate uh, end of the day, uh, doomsday, where. Landlords, if they're overly greedy, uh, they could lose out completely. So, yeah, we're doing all of the above as well, and hopefully there'll there'll be some some good news for all of us on getting some rent relief. If I could just circle back, John, you know, you talk to a lot of people out there. Is it consistent with what you're seeing? Is it a pretty um, uniform approach on that front, or are you hearing anything differently? You know, everybody who's on the call knows that that. Some landlords are going to help. Some landlords are going to are going to be obstinate. Some landlords are just going to delay. I mean, that's just the way that's just the way it works. And I'm encouraged what I heard from Joe and Andy. Uh, Joe, especially, and Andy. Andy had had some talks with. He hasn't gotten into specifics yet. And um, that's that's just the way it is. I I got a call yesterday from a large institutional landlord who castigated me for suggesting that franchisees and independent restaurant operators should hang on to their April rent and use it for cash flow. That that, but I didn't really say that. I said that you should really talk to the landlord and tell them the situation. I mean, this is a dire situation in the restaurant industry, and you got a landlord out there that is aiming to put you out of business or extract a pound of flesh from you it's not a, it's not a good thing and um but that's just that's just human human existence that's the way it works you're going to have some that are going to going to be great and others are going to be really really tough but you just really have to have a plan you got to sit down and show them and they really don't lose anything uh if you extend the lease 
you know, they're still going to get the same rent. They're still going to get the same cap rate on the lease. And uh, restaurant operators need some help right now. And uh, if there's any landlords out there, uh, be realistic. This is a this is a crisis. And and in that context, um, and how dire the situation is, this question I'll, I'll start with either Jim or Chad if you prefer to take this one. What have you been seeing from a government support perspective? How have those conversations, by your understanding, been going? And you know, what would you like to see, or are the most important pieces from a legislative perspective uh, to be addressed? Uh, sure, this is Chad. You know, so I guess uh, just a step back, you know, on Saturday, I think it was when uh, France, they were shutting down the entire restaurant system, not just dining room, but everything. You know, we, in a combination with a lot of people, the restaurant associations, um, all the states and nationally started working really hard on, you know, some, some basic talking points, 10 of which we sent out on John's going to publish those later today. Um, some are still very relevant. Some were some early wins. There's momentum on all of them. And, you know, some of the stuff that I'll talk about here could be outdated by the time we finish this call because these things are moving fast. But the main thing was just as a starting point, you know, the first step was to keep the restaurant food distribution channel open as an essential business during these lockdowns. In other words, you know, talking points are really, you know, 50% of food is consumed away from grocery today. Grocery is totally overwhelmed and it is a vital part of the food distribution that we have in the United States. You know, for the one in 10 of the Americans is getting a paycheck from the restaurant industry. So it's not just the industry in the, in the restaurant space at this point, it's a critical national infrastructure. And those talking points really sunk in. I think you've seen some of that pop up. Cuomo uh, just announced, you know, they're they're in lockdown in New York, and you know, the restaurant is part of the essential business. In California, many other states, that was I think a result of a lot of these pushing points to make sure people understood it's an infrastructure piece. So that's a win. But I think you know, for everybody listening, when you're listening to your local, state, and even national representatives, make sure. They are talking those points um, in, in combination with it being infrastructure so that we continue to get the support we need there. The second one is just safety. Um, you know, we needed to transition the message away from what we referred to bar and restaurant. We needed to have them talk about grocery and restaurant. And that's happened to a certain extent, but if you want to add, um, you know, they need to saying, and we as an industry need to prove restaurant kitchens are safe or safer than going to the grocery store for food needs. It's critical, by the way, that everybody on this call stay on top of the safety protocol because bad pressure could be crippling. Um, in terms of just the ongoing pushes, I think everyone can find the NRA letter that was um, all over the web to, to ask to President Trump and others in, in Washington. Uh, it's important that we all sign that. There's uh, links going around that you can send to your local representatives by, you know, it's like two seconds all over the web. Use that for that. I, I put up on LinkedIn and other places. Um, make sure you're signing that. They all need to hear from you. But then, you know, a couple other things that are ongoing, you know, business interrupts insurance. We got to make sure that we're not just forcing insurance companies to step up and include the pandemic in this, but they've also got to support and facilitate it with government support. So 
you know, there's 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 lots of part of the NRA proposal is to actually set up a hundred billion dollar fund to you know help insurance companies support that. But you know, business interruptions can be a really important thing. Make sure you're talking about that. You know, Jim earlier mentioned the WARN Act. California has suspended this is suspended its provisions, but that needs to be an actual thing. So make sure within your state you're doing it, and within the national representative, that's what you're talking about. You know, landlord prohibitions we've been talking about, the interactions with the landlords, but, you know, some dates and localities, there's prohibitions on evictions from this payments during the impact period. And I think that's going to be an important piece of the puzzle here. You know, the other thing is, yeah, and it's just generally as you think about this, you know, our job right now is to facilitate the diversion of cash flow dollars to support prime costs, you know, buying food and paying people. So, you know, as you think about this, it's, you know, the buck's going to stop somewhere. So, we really need to be thinking about it kind of from the back to the front, which is tax credits to support some of these lost payments or carrying costs, extended payables for everyone else. That goes to lenders who aren't going to get P&I, landlords who aren't going to get you know, rent, utility companies who are going to get deferred payments, franchise owners who aren't going to get royalties, broadliners who are going to have to get deferred payments as well. You know, everybody is important to maintain the business, you know, from being interrupted. You know, all these people are our partners. So, you know, and as opposed to just saying, hey, you know, I can't pay you. We need to be talking to our reps about making sure that they're taken care of from, you know, dollar for dollar federal tax credits. Otherwise, something that will allow them to say yes to us when we ask them for their help. So, you know, that's that's some of the main things that we're working on right now, other initiatives or sales tax exemption, liquor buybacks, you know. And then just another thing I would be thinking about. When we're, when we're talking to our governmental supporters, you know, we should be talking about this in the context of grants, not loans. You know, many of the guys, including Jim, have been talking about, you know, not building up payables, but actually having money to help support us get through this. So once we get out, we haven't dug holes so we can't get our way out. Interesting. Okay. It, it, that's extremely helpful. And then just kind of just switching uh, gears a little bit to the franchisee dynamics, if I could pull Andy and landed back in, you know, what are you hearing from franchisees? What are they asking of you? And how are you thinking about providing kind of support? How closely are you managing that? Andy, I'll go real quick. Yeah, we, like I said earlier, we are in at least three time a day communications with every franchisee in the system, which they appreciate greatly. Their needs have not been extraordinarily, you know, challenging at the moment. They're dealing on the ground in, in their, their their own situations. They are, you know, looking for advice on some of the things that we've all covered on this call. What do we do about rent relief? What, what is the government going to help us out? You know, from a royalty reduction or those kinds of things. You know, we really have not gotten into that. Hopefully we we don't as a as a small privately held company. It's a real challenge to make sure our company is going to be around. We rely on royalties to, to survive. So we're not, we don't want to choose between the parent company and the franchisee. We want everybody to survive, but hopefully we don't need to get into that. I've certainly read that some of the bigger companies have made some of those decisions to, uh, cut or reduce royalties or marketing fees. Uh, right now that's not. In the direction we're going, we don't feel we need to do that because our business is still holding holding pretty pretty firm. But again, I think the key is the over communication. Uh, let them know we're out there as a franchisor. That we're listening. We're helping. We're advising. Um, you know, helping them on the supply chain to make sure that is 
you know, fluid uh, and, and doing well. And on the marketing side, we've geared that up and spending more money than, than typical to, to gear toward the off-premise. So I would say our franchise community is positive and dealing with it in a, in a positive manner in their own their own neighborhoods. This is Landon. I would pretty much echo everything Andy just said. We've taken a really proactive approach with our franchisees over communicating for sure, telling them, you know, before they're asking how to communicate with their landlords, uh, making sure that they're understanding and reading their leases, especially their their force majeure clauses, um, which all of them have. And the most important thing there is to let the landlord, even though conversations are having, to let the landlord know in writing that their business has been affected by something that's outside of their control. So we're helping them uh, with some language there. Um, we're helping them, uh, directing them towards uh, the SBA um, disaster loan programs, helping them with uh, conversations with their current loans. So uh, really taking a proactive approach, of course, helping them to figure out what's their best and most optimal hours kind of based on a day-by-day sales basis. So really working closely with them on that. And then my pledge to them is that, you know, my goal is to keep the home office open, um, not open. We're not, we're not there, but you know, the home office going, um, the team intact. Um, we've all made some sacrifices there to be able to keep our team going. You know, that's, that's my goal. And for them, uh, we haven't, we have not gotten uh, royalty requests or, or relief requests. Um, I think that they understand that we're, you know, similar boat as Andy is that we, we really depend on those to keep keep our team and some of our overhead paid. Uh, but of course, we've cut back a lot as well, too. So uh, I think for our franchisees, there's probably some bigger fish to fry out there. And um, we're helping them with that first and just being really communicative with them. And uh, so far, you know, they're as good as serious as they can be. Hey, Andrew, this is John. I just have one uh, one quick comment. I've talked to a couple of insurance agents to see whether or not uh, business interruption coverage would uh, would kick in in this particular case. And uh, I've gotten some mixed readings on it from them. And But one told me, go ahead and file a claim under business interruption insurance. And one of his thoughts was that that's ultimately the way the government is going to be able to provide some assistance directly to uh, restaurant owners. So I don't know if anyone else has heard anything about that, but that's, that's what I've heard. It's Landon. Um, we had the very same conversation with our insurance uh, companies. Most policies actually accept exclude viruses, uh, unfortunately, and of course, um, but they uh, have stated that if the government does mandate that restaurants shut down, if that was government mandate, then there could be claims made. They said even though viruses are excluded, this is a different situation, so it, it could be a case-by-case situation, so submit them anyway and kind of see what happens. And then uh, before we uh, open it up to Q&A, I just wanted to end on maybe a, a bit of a more positive note here and John you you already started to touch on this so maybe um I'd like to hear from Jim and a tool on this one but just in terms of the longer term implications for the restaurant industry you know based on your experience everything that you're seeing how does the industry emerge from this what's different or or you know kind of how do we exit this current challenging environment yeah uh this this is a crisis i've never seen anything like this in 40 years and you have to be you have to as a positive person, you have to try to find something here. The reality is that there's going to be a lot of restaurants that are going to close, and this is a big national emergency. It's going to give a lot of restaurant owners that were marginal to begin with cover an opportunity to close, and so we're going to have less, less restaurants going forward. 
So the ones that can stay in business during these next couple of weeks are are going to benefit. I use I use an example and an, an example of back in '92 in Miami when a hurricane came through. I knew a guy. Denny's franchisee tried everything he could to keep his stores open. He got generators, he kept them open, and he coined it for months. And uh, so I'm just hoping that restaurant operators can do everything they can possibly do to keep these stores open because it it is going to come back. This is this is a uh, product and a service that people in society love, and uh, it's just it's just tough right now. It just just keep the faith. Exactly, it is really tough. This is a from Kitchen United. Um, if there is any type of a silver lining in um, dining trends, I think this crisis will expose more more demographics to food delivery and off-premise dining, potentially a customer base that is slightly older than the millennial Gen Z uh, early adopters of delivery who are going to be trying this out for the first time during these days and then hopefully coming back. So pushing more towards uh, t- towards that user base could be helpful from a, from a marketing standpoint as well. Um, but these are, I, I mean, we've, we're seeing it every day. These are day-by-day issues. So just keeping ourselves up and running, keeping health standards high, and making sure we, we serve this consumer demand is what we're focused on right now. I can comment as well just quickly. I know we're running out of time here, but um, look, the restaurant business is not going away. And we're all going to get through this at the end of the day. The question is how long and how we come through on the other side. So, as I said a couple of times, thinking about your long-term strategies combined with making decisions for today is a very important way to, to treat your business. So, you know, on the today side, obviously, you know, continue upselling, making sure speed of service is there on delivery and drive-through. Try to sell beverages if you can. They're high margin. Let people know you're open. You know, we've been giving free food to employees that we furloughed. You know, try to do the right thing and then simultaneously think about where you might be three or four months from now. We're going to see a lot of fallout from a number of different restaurant concepts and those that manage through and navigate this crisis and come out on the other side are going to come out a lot stronger. So just be mindful of where you want to be, you know, 60 days, 90 days from now. I know it's easier said than done. A lot of people may be rolling their eyes at that comment, but there are ways that you can manage through this while you're making short-term decisions as well. Fantastic. Well, I just want to uh, thank all of you for for your perspective. We're going to uh, end the moderated portion here, and I'll kick it back over to Ashish uh, to begin the Q&A. Before we start q and just a, maybe a quick question for uh, Kitchen United and, and Clean Juice. In this environment, I know it's tough to think about growth, uh, given how focus you are on your day-to-day current operations, but what are your plans for growth? How, how are you thinking about growth, you know, thinking forward about, you know, signing leases and signing up new franchisees or, or opening more units in Kitchen United's case uh, for, for delivery? How, how are you thinking about growth in this environment? I can take that first with Rattol. We are very much focused on, on the day-to-day. You know, things are changing so, so much daily that, um, just keeping our our uh, restaurant partners served well uh, in the current environment is our primary focus. We have had uh, and continue to have plans to enter the New York market uh, later this year. aren't uh, aren't really terribly focused on that right now. Uh, just more focused on on serving immediate needs, but uh, do expect to be in the New York market and certain other markets later this year. 
Hey, it's Landon with Clean Juice. You know, I would like to let everyone know that there there is some optimism out there. Although our franchise leads are down, my franchise development VP is having calls with people every single day who are optimistic about what's going to happen, you know, over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, we have to get through this, but there will be another side to this. Uh, people, again, will be buying franchises. They will be investing in restaurants, you know. So, there, you know, people are optimistic that there is light on the other side of this. So I think it's very helpful to say that. Obviously, with current stores that we have that are in development, uh, most permitting offices have been closed. Landlords are obviously very challenging uh, to, challenge to get a hold of right now. So, you know, we're doing our, our best to kind of stay on top of those things. But people, you know, they're even though they're down, they're still uh, they're still thinking about the future. And, um, you know, just to end uh, with some optimism there. All right. Thank you very much. This is Andy Howard real quick. I would, I would just echo Landon's thoughts on we've got as many franchise, new franchisees in development as existing franchisees, and they're all bullish and, and moving ahead. And new franchise prospects that maybe have slowed down a little bit, but, but like Landon said, they're, they're out there looking for great brands. And if you're one of them, there's, there's a lot of takers that still want to get into the franchise business. So there is still a lot of positive news. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we are out of time, but maybe uh, I'll ask the operator to open the lines for any questions. Maybe we can take one or two questions quickly. Yeah, my name is Mike Feynman. I am uh, a Fazoli's franchisee in Texas. The fact is, um, in terms of you guys were talking about delivery, and I wasn't quite clear on what we can do. I think it's exactly right. I mean, there's winners and losers in this type of situation. Obviously, Amazon, grocery stores, at least in the short term, and, um, you know, pizza restaurants, Double Days is an example, um, and, uh, and delivery. So, you know, certainly they need to, need to give up some. Is there going to be something that's going to be kind of a broader influence, uh, to, to the door dashes and the favors of the world that, you know, you really need to take care of your partners in this, in this time? I know Easy Cater already is going zero commissions, but I haven't heard anything as it relates to favor. I haven't called them yet because I've been too busy calling the bigger, stakeholders, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. We all need to get together. I mean, uh, this is Andy from Huey's, and we're in the same boat. Uh, always, um, you know, again, I, I don't want to ask the big boys to negotiate for us, but maybe we do need some help in a in, in a broad way to uh, to see what the Ubers, DoorDashes go down the list will, will help us with on a short term. So however we can band together, I'm all for it. Phil from Kitchen United, I've been, I've been having uh, multiple conversations across those delivery service providers, and uh, they are all uh, trying to figure out how best to, to meet the demands of the industry. So I'm sure they'll be, they'll be rolling out um, updates, uh, updates pretty soon. Um, and Gary in Texas' favor, I know, is having those discussions as well. Thank you uh, to all the panelists and, and, and everybody on the line for joining today. Uh, these are indeed a tough times for the restaurant sector and the economy as a whole. Uh, again, I think the message uh, from everyone on this call, as you can and see, is everybody's focused on kind of near-term issues and how, how do you keep your business open and, and running. Um, I think that people also see, you know, that at the end of the tunnel, hopefully there will be good opportunity for the brands that do uh, make it to the other end. And, and, and with that, uh, you know, ho- hopefully there, the, given the disruption, there, there is going to be the other end to this, and, and then hopefully the, that will be sooner rather than later. Again, thank you, everyone, uh, for joining. Thank you uh, to the panelists. If uh, we can be helpful in any way to uh, folks on the line, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out uh, to me, Ashish, Seth, or to Andrew Strelzik. Thank you, everyone, very much. Bye.